0: Hello
1: and welcome to Africa Tech Summit Connects,
0: sharing insights
1: from across the African tech scene.
2: I'm uh, Woody Keita. I represent Africa Tech Summit in China, also co-founder of EasyBat, which is a uh, fintech uh to exchange on today's topic uh china and africa innovation and learning through technology i will be joined by luke Eliens from xnod and dean diabate from uh, alibaba group so gentlemen welcome and thank you for being with us today could you introduce yourself for our audience
1: so first of all i'm very happy to be uh, on, on the call with you with you all today um so my name is luke as uh, woody uh, mentioned uh, i'm from the netherlands from holland my uh, background is entrepreneur, so I had uh, three companies before. Uh, I sold my second company while I was still in Europe many years ago. Uh, I came to China two and a half years ago. Um, and uh, within China, I've been, from the very beginning, helping to build Xnode. Um, Xnode is a Chinese privately owned platform for innovation. Uh, we help Chinese companies, startup companies, scale-up companies, corporates, VCs, universities, all of those uh, parties. We help them to do innovation in China. And we do that specifically with a focus on cross-border innovation. So we help foreign companies come into China. We help Chinese companies go out. Uh, and of course, from that angle, I'm particularly interested in uh, also making the break between Africa and China. So uh, thanks all for being here. And uh, as Rudy mentioned, uh, happy to answer all the questions uh, to the best of my knowledge.
2: Great. Thanks, Luke. Dean, your turn.
0: Well, thank you again, uh, Woody. Thank you, uh, the Africa Tech Summit uh, Connects team. Uh, My name is Dean. Uh, I'm French. I arrived actually in China in February 2008. Um, I have a background in financial services, um, advertising, and now I'm in the cross-border business unit uh, of Alibaba Group which is called Tmall Global. It's actually the number one uh, B2C cross-border e-commerce platform. We're helping a lot of uh, global brands enter China, um, either via cross-border business model or uh, even other new uh, shipping methods that we have just launched recently. Um, And as part of my role in Alibaba Group, I was also, and I am still, the lead for the EWTP uh, Africa trade segment, um, meaning that I help African brands to enter China through the uh, EWTP or Electronic World Trade Platform initiative that was launched by Jack Ma in October 2018. Very happy to join and I hope I can answer all the questions uh, around the end of the conversation.
2: Sounds exciting. So uh, let's just get into the, um, the topic where I had some question about what are we going to talk about actually today, because China and Africa is such a vast topic. So we, we like to keep it focused on innovation, tech, and what we think is an opportunity, not only for Africa, which is the obvious one always, but also for China. Um, so this topic comes to the light of Uh, the shift, there is a shift in the China-Africa relationship for a long time. It has been a lot of government-to-government relationship um, with China becoming an essential trade partner and creditor of the the continent. But even when it comes to trade, uh, we are only seeing what I think is the tip of the iceberg because Africa only represents 5% of Beijing, 4 trillion US dollar yearly spending in trade. So there is still a long way to go. But what concerns us today is to see, to dig further into what we saw as being a Chinese private investors being more active in Africa than what they have been. So And they have been actually also fairly encouraged by Beijing to do so. And in the last year alone, we you have three startups. I'm sure we all have seen this raising a total of 240 million from uh, venture capitals which are funded by 15 different chinese investors so i'm talking about Opei, palpay and lori system and from personal exchanges i had with uh, chinese vc who are looking into venturing in africa they feel very excited about the continent because for them it combines market size and future growth opportunity. With obviously 1.3 billion people, uh, the continent is a logical move for many Chinese a- investors. And on the soft part, it reminds them, and I keep hearing that in all the conversation I had with Chinese investors who went to, to Africa to do the homework. For them, it reminds them of their hometown 20 years ago. So they believe that it's, and they know it can be done. And this is also why they are super excited. So currently, you have most of the Chinese investors who are known uh, being active uh, on the continent. We have Meituan and Ping. I'm sure the, uh, this name sounds very familiar to you and Luke as well. You you have also SoftBank Venture Asia, and all those who are not yet in uh, Sequoia China, all those who are not yet in the on the continent are just figuring out their strategy to move there, uh, and. Uh, they're just looking for ways to build a, a bridge to africa as i would say and from the the introduction you made you both are actually in in companies who are building already this kind of bridge and um, and so what have you what could you tell us more on uh, on this and see how mostly how this we can build this bridge between not only China to Africa because it 's obvious, which is look you 're doing that now, and uh, you can tell us more about that, but also Africa to China, which is something more of what you are doing Jean so it will be very interesting to to know your thoughts on that
1: all right so so um, uh, before I answer the question, maybe just a few words so people understand a little bit better what Xnote exactly does and what does and what the relationship is between Xnote and china so um, in a nutshell, uh, as I mentioned this before, we are trying to build a Chinese but global platform for innovation. So we, we do that in three ways. We, have, we run co-working spaces uh, in different parts of China, trying to build a community for uh, innovators in China, Chinese startups, but also foreign companies. We help Chinese startups and foreign companies coming into China. As I mentioned before, we work with a lot of corporations, so bigger organizations, helping to help them to invest in China uh, and helping them to work with startups. Uh, so that's how our company got started. Um, one of the things we're noticing, back to the point that Woody uh, was mentioning before, is that more and more China is starting to look outwards. Um, what we see is that the uh, old story of, of China's economy growing 6%, 7%, 10% per year, it's slowly starting to change. Um, um, it's, it's no longer possible to sustain this pace of growth uh, for a longer period of time. So we're, we're getting more and more requests from, for example, Chinese government, uh, as well as from Chinese startups. Can we look at foreign markets? Um, So we're doing that by um, looking at Africa, but also looking at markets such as Southeast Asia. uh, And we're trying to bridge this gap. Now, specifically, what are we doing right now in Africa? Um, We are, as a Chinese uh, platform for innovation, we're dipping our toe. So we are starting a project. Um, uh, We were already supposed to start it right now, but due to the COVID-19 situation, the whole thing got postponed. But we will start a project where this year uh, in in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, we will run um, a small base camp where we will try to find more mature African companies that we think are interesting for for Chinese investors. We'll try to scout them. We train them a little bit. We localize their business model for the Chinese market. And then we will bring uh, the winning company, we will bring them to China To connect them to chinese investors so in this case this is an approach where we bring african companies to china Um, that's for us kind of like our mvp our minimum viable product trying to understand is there an interest from the network that we have in china for african entrepreneurs if so where does the interest lie Uh, and are african entrepreneurs also interested to expand to china Um, so um, by no means do i want to claim that i have all the answers but we want to move into that direction Especially because, uh, like Woody mentioned, macroeconomically, uh, Africa is extremely interesting. The country is, sorry, the continent is young, population is big, um, there's so much potential for growth, um, and, and there's a lot of properties that I think are shared between Africa and China. Uh, so that's why we, as a company, are, are slowly trying to venture there, and hopefully, we'll open up an office there within a year or so.
2: Sounds exciting. I will keep the follow-up uh, question later for, and let Dean also give us a perspective on this uh, China-Africa bridge building that he has been doing.
0: Yeah, thank you. Um, I think in in terms of the work that, um, that at least Alibaba Group has been doing in the past uh, few years, it's basically that um, this initiative of bridging China and Africa has been led by Jack Ma, um, he essentially really wanted to um, to lead the I would say growth of the African population and the continent to connect as many people to um, to the country uh, to the country's economy of China to essentially by essentially not only fostering a lot of the uh, students um, but also teachers and politicians to really understand what does it take to actually be part of of an economy that is essentially led by digital? So a lot of the work that we have been doing, especially with the pilot project in in Rwanda, have been led by the education and sharing of material um, and sharing of experience to young population uh, in Rwanda, but also in Africa and Ghana, especially. Um, And a lot of the um, entrepreneurs that have been empowered by the experience of Alibaba Group have actually been also able to come to uh, Hangzhou, to Alibaba's headquarters, to take trainings uh, about you know, what is it that is making China such a powerful digital house in terms of digital payments, logistics, but also cloud computing, as well as uh, advertising. So a lot of the learning that these entrepreneurs are Um, coming to take and to get from China, they take it back to uh, their own country and then apply it to the um, the, uh, economy and the countries and the realities that they're facing on a day-to-day basis with the learning that they have taken. But on top of that, they also apply a very localized strategy of developing solutions for the challenges that that their economy is facing. So in my work with uh, EWTP Rwanda, I have faced also similar challenges, which is that a lot of the um, uh, coffee business owners that um, I decided to work with in order to import their products through Tmall. Tmall is China's largest uh, B2C e-commerce platform. So all these coffee companies that I have helped to enter China faced also a very similar challenge, which is not understanding the China digital landscape. And because of that, because they did not understand it very clearly, they did not know, you know, how to actually really get to the final consumer. Although they have the product, they might have also other processes for B2B business with other countries. They did not have the understanding of how to do business with China. So essentially, a lot of educational work. And um, what I used to say, and I keep on saying, is that a lot of the um, a lot of the future um, that is related to China's success with Africa and Africa's success with China will actually be on the empowerment of the local communities on the ground, including people who are farmers, but also people who are business owners, students, as well as politicians. So all of these people need to be empowered in order to really start not depending only on donations. So essentially all that empowerment is really what I am fighting for currently in, um, with the help and the support of Alibaba Group to really um, uplift uh, certain economies in Africa by empowering them thanks to the consumption power of the uh, Chinese consumers.
2: Great. Uh, I will stay with you, Dean, just before moving to the next question. Uh, you, you are many to send your question into the chat. It will make it easier if you can use the Q&A section for your questions. Um, Dean, I I would like, could you give us an example of uh, concretely how this initiative is impacting people on the ground, like uh, something specific, because I know you're you're actually a man of data, so you're having a lot of data on what you're doing there.
0: Yes. Um, Yeah, that's a good point, because actually, a lot of initiatives, most of the time that we're seeing of African businesses trying to come to China is mainly by um, having or working with uh, either investors or local distributors, local Chinese distributors, who will then take the ownership of the inventory and then sell the products directly to the Chinese market without any oversight of the Chinese or of the African business owners. So what we did was that we really pushed to have the African coffee business owners or the Rwandan coffee business owners to really understand the market. And by doing so, we've launched several initiatives and several big marketing campaigns with uh, within Alibaba Group. And some of them have been extremely successful. So for example, the latest one to date was a live stream session that we did in uh, January. So live streaming has taken China by storm. So you have a lot of Influencers, Chinese influencers who can make or break a brand just because they have such strong followers. So what we did was that we connected uh, one of the Rwandan coffee brands to one of our um, major live streaming platform, and then we invited a very famous influencer to come and you know share her insights about the taste of the coffee and her experience of drinking it, etc. And we saw sales of 5,000 bags being sold within 10 minutes. So 5,000 coffee bags of roughly 250 grams each were sold in just 10 minutes. This is a kind of a big milestone that we've achieved because originally, um, if you think about you know, coffee from Africa, you, Chinese consumers would think about Ethiopian and uh, Kenyan coffee, but they weren't really thinking about Rwanda coffee. So we've managed to turn around the mindsets of the Chinese consumers to really get them to understand that, you know, Africa is a very big continent that has many countries that has also several countries that are also known for their coffee. And it's not only about Ethiopia or Kenya, but now it is also about Rwanda. So the mindset has been shifted and now the country is enjoying great growth uh, for its coffee into uh, into the country.
2: That is really, really exciting. I, I think every, many people who are listening to us who, are, who have not been in China, um, these this type of numbers are so common, like 5,000 in 10 minutes, it's nothing. So giving such access uh, to African entrepreneurs, uh, it's, it's really uh, make a big difference, I'm sure in many people's life. Uh, for to look, I have a lot of questions on the, on the Q&A for you, following uh, your explanation of what Xnode is doing. So I will start with one from Julius who is asking how can African startups access Chinese investors, especially if they're early stage startups, which is also linked to another question which was directed for you. What do you mean by mature, uh, mature companies Like, um, and because they have a small startup and they're also looking for raising money? I mean, you, you must be very, very used to hearing those questions from startups.
1: I, I totally understand the question, both questions and I'll, I'll try to answer to so them uh, best i can um, so maybe just a few more words on the initiative that we are starting to employ as i mentioned in, uh, in nairobi so the initiative that we're doing is called urban x uh, we do this together with uh, actually the united nations and the world bank and the purpose of our specific initiatives is to find african entrepreneurs focusing on urban issues uh, you can also call this smart city so how can technology help specifically to build cities of the future and to um um as a result, alleviate uh, um, living conditions for people around the world, and in this case, with a specific starting market uh, in, in Nairobi. Um, that's our, our first project. Um, so, for that specific project, as I mentioned, we will be scouting companies, and the winning company will be brought to China. We will connect them to our network here in China, including Chinese investors. So, for, for that specific project, why later stage companies? A um, couple reasons. Maybe contrary to uh, sometimes a common belief, um, Chinese investors are quite picky, specifically when they want to invest in um, foreign companies. Um, So uh, we found that it's quite difficult for for a foreign company to successfully uh, raise investment in China when they are too early stage. Um, It's already difficult enough to build a business. um, And if you don't have any traction yet, if you don't have a proven um, track record in your home market, nor a proven track record in the China market, it will be quite hard for you to attract investment specifically from the Chinese investor, especially when it's about expansion into the Chinese market. Uh, so that's why for the specific program that we will be running uh, in Africa later this year, um, we are looking for companies that are post-Series A. Um, so that's a little bit more mature. Um, if you're an early stage uh, African tech company looking for investment, uh, because that was, I think, the second question, um, my advice would be try to raise first in your home market. And of course, this can, can be from uh, Chinese investors, but it needs to be for the sake of expanding in your home market first before considering going to China. Um, and, and, and once you have reached a certain level of maturity, once you have a, a, a certain revenue level uh, and you are ready to scale your business, that's the moment to potentially come to China. And that's also the moment where you can start raising bigger checks
2: you you, are, you both have a lot of experience on and, and have witnessed China become uh, a powerhouse in innovation and so do you share the, the enthusiasm of our audience uh, in seeing China as an accelerating factor for africa tech revolution uh, I stay with you Luke on that
1: yeah so uh, for me, uh, the answer obviously is yes uh, definitely um, number of different reasons um, as I mentioned. Even though China is making this shift and, and, and is fully into a like developing into an innovation economy right now, at the same time, um, actually over the if you look over ten, twenty, thirty years time scale, I think it will be hard for the China Chinese economy to grow when they keep focusing purely on domestic markets. Um, so you see slowly government opening up more to foreign investments. Uh, you see a lot of initiatives coming. To try to build bridges, for example, between uh, Africa and China, so from a government perspective which which obviously is important uh, specifically in Chinese context, from a government perspective, there is this push to try to internationalize some of the innovation both outwards as well as inwards, uh, so I think that's a big will be a big factor, pushing this whole thing forward that's one but second uh, i and I mentioned this before I think there's a lot of overlaps between where Africa is now and where China was, maybe ten or fifteen years ago, so um Africa's first of all, is able to leapfrog. Um, so very often, uh, Africa or China in the past went from nothing to mobile payments. You see the same thing happening now in Africa, um, which means that you can very quickly uh, reach 50 or 100x improvements from current situation when you start uh, building innovations. Um, so that combined with, with the size of the market and the growth potential and the, the youth of the population, I think makes it an extremely interesting market uh, uh, for Chinese investors, for Chinese companies, for Chinese government. Uh, and also because the relationships, relationships that have been built over the, over the last five, 10, 15 years are quite good, quite strong, I would argue stronger than US and Europe. Um, I think all uh, arrows point towards more collaboration between China and Africa. Uh, and a lot of growth, um, I think will come from that type of collaboration, which is the reason why we are planning to open up an office.
2: Great. Um, what about you, Dean?
1: I
0: joined I join Luke actually on, the, uh, on, on, the, uh, on this point. Is, um, I think there is so much that, um, you know, I, for example, for being a native, French native from African parents, uh, have learned while being in China, um, and even more so while being in Alibaba for almost four years now, um, that you know, if ever I am to go back to uh, to Europe or maybe to go to Africa at some point, you know, so much of the learning that I have acquired here is actually um, applicable directly in uh, in the markets that are, that have that look basically like China twenty years ago. So in essence, I think you know a lot of the uh, core. Um, advantages of having a very strong relationship between China and Africa. And what I mean by relationship is, I mean, for now, it's more economical relationship, right? So it's more related to uh, a change, exchange of goods, exchange of ideas, exchange of knowledge and experiences, which is going to, um, you know, enable a lot of African economies to grow uh, a lot faster. Now, however, I also see um, certain challenges, which, um, are very obvious and those challenges are essentially cultural challenges, a lot of issues um, you know like we have, uh, we have seen in, uh, in Guangzhou um, that you know might hinder the relationships between uh, China and Africa and might hinder also the potential growth of, um, of exchange and ideas. So I think that you know for us being here, it is very important to not only remember that, um, China is essentially a growing economy, and uh, Africa is still at a at a very early stage in terms of growth. But um, there is definitely a lot that we can learn from um, China's mistakes and China's experiences, etc., to then take back and um, and hopefully help the uh, local economies. In
2: what's the the limit for Africa in in relying on China? way of doing things or China way of innovation because I hear you often saying that innovation is not about copy-pasting so what, what is the limit of this this exchange of uh, knowledge and technology and innovation
1: yeah so, so maybe first uh, um, I think it's good to say a few things about how I think innovation is chi- in China is slightly different from other parts of the world and then I'll get to the question uh, how that relates to Africa so um, I'm obviously not Chinese um, and I came to China as a European entrepreneur, having a very European perspective of, on how innovation entrepreneurship should work. Uh, and in the last two and a half years, working with many different startup companies, many different founders, if I would have to uh, kind of summarize my conclusion, is um, that I was completely wrong. Almost about everything that I thought about how, how innovation should work or how entrepreneurship should work. So if you look at a typical Chinese startup or a t- typical Chinese entrepreneur, the way they do innovation is um they come up with an idea for innovation um they uh, find a way through their network and through their friends to very quickly build something um they build it extremely fast and very often horizontally so rather than focusing on specific pain points or focusing on on very specific niche customer actually they build many 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 different features very 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 quickly um they raise a lot of money uh, and then they expand even faster in all different directions. Um, and and if you look at the mindset of a of a typical Chinese entrepreneur, it's very pragmatic. Uh, it's very uh, result-driven. Um, it's um, so, so, for example, the whole methodology around lean startup and quickly iterating and keeping it small, very often it doesn't really work in China or Chinese entrepreneurs don't innovate like that. Um, so, uh, now back to the question, how does... China innovation and African innovation, how do they relate to each other and how can the two learn from each other? Um, What I think, if you're an African entrepreneur, um, what is interesting for China or what China dearly, dearly, dearly needs right now is companies that are doing business-to-business innovation um, with a differentiated technology. Um, So um, if you have that type of business, for example, agri-tech, or you're doing something in deep tech, um, and if you have something truly differentiating, there will be lots and lots and lots of opportunities in China. Lots of investment opportunities, lots of growth opportunities. If you're more business to consumer uh, and, and, and want to do something in e-commerce, I mean, um, Dean will know better than me. Then it will be very hard to, to beat Alibaba. You might be able to partner with them, but when it comes to the core platform that they've built, you can't get much better than what Alibaba has. Um, So for foreign companies wanting to come into China, my kind of thesis is you need to be business to business. You need to have some differentiating technology. You need to be a little bit more mature and you need to understand how innovation in China is done. So much more horizontal, much faster, raising much more money. Um, And if, if you have... If you have that mindset, combined with the properties I described for the business, then I think as an African entrepreneur, you should consider China as one of your primary markets to expand. To.
2: Yeah. So, Dina, I just let you also share your thoughts on, uh, on the previous question about uh, what actually could be the limit of strong dependency on China and where Africa actually could be uh, playing, uh, playing its game, if I can say this way, to, to, be, to make the best of this cooperation with China.
1: Yes.
0: I think um, you know, if we look at very basic examples of you know, companies um, like Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, all those companies that were blocked away from China, um, you know, I found it very interesting but at the time when all those companies got blocked in 2008, I was basically really trying to connect you know, to my Gmail account and I just couldn't do it. It was just impossible. So I could not understand what was happening. And a few years later, we hear about you know, companies like WeChat, companies like Yoku, companies like um, Tudo, et cetera, all of these uh, major social network companies um, coming out to essentially almost replace um, the companies like Facebook or YouTube, et cetera, and um, create an a sort of like um, a solution that is made for the Chinese market. If I look at the WeChat today, so WeChat is a social messaging application um, that a lot of people in China, more than 1.2 billion people I believe around the world use WeChat today. Um, This mobile application is nothing that uh, I believe a company like Facebook could have created for China. So the innovation has started first You know, by obviously blocking companies, um, foreign companies, to allow innovation to happen in the country by Chinese companies for the Chinese consumer. So I think that if we look at the potential innovation that needs to happen in Africa, it should be something very similar. Otherwise, we are going to have um, you know African companies that mainly rely on the models of companies like Google, YouTube, or Facebook to essentially create their business model and their solutions for the local market. So the main limitation or the main limits that I see to uh, the innovation happening between um, China and Africa or the exchange of of goods and knowledge between the two uh, continents is, um, or the country and the continent, is that um, there needs to be a very, very strong proprietary um, idea ownership of African business owners for their market. So I would join Luke as well on that comment that he said, you need to build a very strong business for the local market. Yes. So that's a very good question because at Alibaba, we're facing a very similar um, you know, sort of uh, uh, thinking about, you know, what are we doing? Are we internationalizing? Are we globalizing? So the answer to that question is that internationalizing means that you take a local business and then you bring that business or you push that business into international markets, but you keep the main features of its local market. Globalizing means that you actually are taking a local business and you are localizing it to the local market by hiring local talents, by having local solutions, etc. So that is, in a sense, the major feature of globalization that even Alibaba today is having a lot of uh, challenges because the solutions that Alibaba is currently putting forward are basically supporting the local Chinese market. Um, And so a company like Alipay, for example, so Alipay is uh, one of China's major payment gateways that is currently used by Close to 1.2 billion people, I believe, as well here. Um, so Alipay, you know, trying to globalize into other market, is actually thinking more about supporting the Chinese tourists who are traveling overseas with their solutions on their mobile phone for the payment solution. So essentially, the businesses is, is internationalizing, not globalizing. So this is these are some limits that I see for you know, potential um, exchange in innovation between uh, a country like China and a continent like Africa, whereby all that innovation is really going to rely a lot on whether the businesses that are sprouting from each market are actually answering the right questions and the right challenges for the local market before even thinking about going overseas.
2: Um, just to stay on the question you wanted to, uh, to react on, Luke, I have a really, really interesting uh, way of putting it from Raj. He says, in China, there is no copyright, just the right to copy. Someone once told me, is it still true today? And I guess, what, how do you advise uh, startups? Because usually startups are not thinking legal when they start their companies. So how can they protect themselves if they're moving to China? And you can also answer the Raj question, obviously.
1: Yeah, no, I, I, I saw some of those comments as well popping up. And um, um, I, I have to say, um, I object to uh, the narrative of um, in China, there's only the right to copy and there's no copyright. Um, so um, I see many, many, many foreign businesses wanting to come into China. And of course, IPR, intellectual property rights, are always one of the main concerns. Um, and the the thing I want to object against is, The idea that if you have any intellectual property in your company, it's impossible to come to China. It's impossible to protect your intellectual property. It's not true. You can do that. You can do that even as a startup company. You just need to be smart about it. So uh, what we always advise to all the companies that have intellectual property uh, coming to China, a few different things. Um, First of all, you need to realize this is what China needs, right? China needs differentiating technology. China has an interest to help you get get into that market. Um, So there will be a lot of pool. If you really have something unique, there will be a lot of pool for you to come into China to different provinces, to different different, different districts. Um, The way to protect your intellectual property properly, and of course it depends a little bit on the case, is first of all, make sure that the core, core, core tech um, always remains in your holding company, which ideally is located outside of China. That's the first thing you can do. Um, make sure that whatever product you are launching into the Chinese market cannot be very easily reverse engineered. Uh, so I'll give you an example. We're helping a robotics company right now coming into China. They have very interesting tech for uh, 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 autonomous robots. Um, all the tech is located in their holding company in Europe. Um, and it's virtually impossible to reverse engineer the, the units that they are, are planning to launch within China market. So that's kind of the first thing. Um, Now, once you've set that up properly, um, what's incredibly important is to find yourself a trustworthy local Chinese partner. Um, What what does that mean? That means ideally a private Chinese company, because private Chinese companies like yours have an interest to make this partnership work. Um, So ideally, you should find a Chinese private company that can also help you manage the relationships with Chinese government properly. Uh, it's impossible in china not to have relationship with uh with chinese government you need relationships with them but you want to keep them at at arm's length Uh, you don't want to have chinese government directly investing in your company because then before you know it you might have issues so if you have a good local chinese partner you have um, um, a legal setup where the intellectual property is located in your home market and you have a product which is difficult to reverse engineer you can go to china even when you have intellectual property to protect, it will be quite difficult um, for China to then copy that. Um, and more importantly, um, if you have this, this powerful Chinese partner, they will also protect you with the relationships that they have and with the maneuvering power they have within, within China uh, locally um, to, uh, to prevent things like copying or theft. Um, so um, I, I realize this is a very long answer. No, um, but there, um, no, so I don't agree with it it's it's possible but you need to be strategic about it
2: yeah great thanks uh Luke so don't be scared to come to China that's basically your message but make sure you protect yourself properly in your home country and make sure you have the right partner in China I wouldn't ask you how to get a right partner in China because that's uh, all other discussion topic because uh, this is I put myself in the shoes of somebody who is based in Africa and hearing find the right partner in in China seems like pretty impossible, and that's what you with XNode you're building now in um, in uh, the the service you provide to bringing the right startups to China and also to meet the right people in China, I guess.
1: Yeah, so uh, of course I don't want to preach too much for my own company, but yes, that's what we do, obviously. um, and, and, back a little bit to discussion we had earlier, that's why you shouldn't come to China too quickly, uh, or too early in your development, um, to build, to find that partner. It's possible. Believe me, we're doing it all the time, but it takes time. Um, so you should give yourself at least a trajectory of between half a year and one year to try to find different partners, try to build a relationship with them. Try to understand uh, to what extent is this a private company? To what extent is this um, a company where the government is, is heavily involved? Um, try to build a relationship in a way where they start caring about you. Uh, that takes time. So uh, you need to do it locally. You need to do it on the ground. Uh, you need to give it the time that it needs. Um, but what, if you do that, if you invest half a year, one year, one and a half year in, in those type of partnerships, I'm telling you because I'm seeing it, um, it can be extremely strong. Um, And and, um, once the trust is there, um, I would argue that Chinese partners are more trustworthy than many other parts of the world.
2: Yeah, very nice. Uh, Good insight because usually everybody tends to have a a kind of mixed feeling approach when it comes to bringing your business in China for obvious reasons in the past. But the the market has changed a lot and China itself has become quite sufficient in innovating for its own market. then doesn't have such a need to copy. I would say B two at least for B two C part, uh, as you mentioned before. I don't have the the poll results for the question: uh, Do you think China can benefit from innovations made in Africa? But I'm sure I'm going to have them soon. So I would like to stay on that and to be ah, magic just happened. So you are nearly uh, ninety nine percent to eighty five percent to agree. Either agree or strongly agree. So I guess it would be interesting to know in what field Africa, Africa-made innovation is a, is, a, is a, could be essential for China. And you have already started answering that uh, before Luke's explaining the B two B type of startup that you want to bring to 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 China. Uh, I would like maybe more on on Luke, uh, on Dean. Sorry, uh, thoughts on that. And maybe something more concrete of what you see, because we know that in Alibaba Group, you have a lot of programs of bringing African entrepreneurs and uh, giving them exposure for, to China. And what are you looking for in Africa? What is, what is there that is not already in China? What could China be interested in?
0: Yeah, that's a very good question, because actually a lot of the um, entrepreneurs that have come uh, in Alibaba Group for trainings um, have basically come up with a lot of amazing solutions, whether it is in logistics field, in the payments field, in the uh, big data field, or just general marketplace um, uh, segment as well. And so what we're seeing, um, or at least what I have seen by talking to all of these entrepreneurs, not only African entrepreneurs, but also to talk, I've been talking with a lot of Southeast Asian entrepreneurs from Malaysia, from uh, Indonesia, from Thailand, et cetera, is, are really based on the reality of their own economy. So being, that being said, if you look at China today, you know the payment landscape is dominated by uh, two major payment platforms. So that includes Alipay, which is owned by Alibaba Group, but it's also um, WeChat, WeChat Pay, which is owned by Tencent. So if you look at the payment landscape today in China, it is essentially so many uh, different third-party services into their own application that they have become what we call super apps. But when you look at the um, similar industry of payment landscapes, for example, in, uh, in, in Africa, the payment landscape in Africa is so diverse. Why? The first, question, the first answer is because there are so many different currencies across the entire continent. And then the second one is the actual regulatory framework that is put forward by all the banking um, uh, sort of community that if you are a payment company in, for example, let's say Cameroon, and you want to enter the Nigerian landscape for payment, then you might need to have what what the government calls those certifications by the um, financial Authority of Nigeria, so getting all these certificates or accredit- accreditations for servicing two C clients with payment services then becomes quite of a um, a feat because you need to do that probably fifty four times because there are fifty four different countries in Africa, for instance. So in essence, what we're seeing is that underground today. Um, Africa has a lot of great potential when it comes to, for example, putting together solutions in payments. I will remain in payment just to keep it um, as narrow as possible. But uh, in payment for chains, services or cryptocurrency uh, solutions, they can incorporate different types of uh, Visa, MasterCard, even all of these neo banks, um, you know, I think about neo banks like uh, Revolut or N26, or all of these neo banks that um, that people in Europe are using a lot in order to make those purchases. But in China today, if you look at the payment landscape, it's totally different. So, in essence, I see that a lot of the core differences between those two countries, or the country of China and the continent of Africa basically relies on the type of solution that they uh, put together for the reality of of their economy. And we have seen that Alibaba is actually benefiting a lot from a lot of the uh, payment companies in Europe and in Africa in order to improve its own payment solution in China. I'll give you another example, which is uh, the use of augmented reality technology or the use of uh, better scanning for QR code technology. So a lot of acquisitions have been made in the AR, augmented reality landscape, and the U.S. landscape have been made in Israel as well in order to support a lot of the um, uh, facial recognition uh, technologies as well as the QR code scanning technology. So we're seeing a lot of innovations that are coming from outside of China into Africa, outside of China to China. And Africa has a major, major role to play. If it remains an independent um, uh, sort of um, uh, market for innovation to answer those those challenges in the local economies. So China will definitely learn from those entrepreneurs and businesses that are putting forward those solutions and I've seen Alibaba doing it already so I can I can definitely be confident that a lot of the learning will come from Africa in the future.
2: Awesome and um, I'm sure our audience are vastly in in sharing your opinion as well as they they all think that there are different technologies in Africa that can be useful for China. Luke I have one question for you coming from the audience Um, very specific uh, from um, uh, sorry, Fury. Uh, Mr. you recently published an interesting essay on the clock and peel institute in Europe. Uh, do you think Africa can benefit from this, same as China did, especially after recent Corona situation? Very specific.
1: That's, yeah, it's no, it's funny because it's a it's a, like an essay I wrote a long time ago. So it's interesting that it, someone found it apparently over the over the web. So this is a specific. Um, um, Piece I wrote on innovation, which is about niche businesses, so very, very, very niche businesses, and how for those niche businesses, uh, sorry, markets like China can still be interesting. So in this case, this was in Dutch. Uh, This was about businesses that specialize in clocks for for churches. Um, The Netherlands, actually, my home country, is very good at those businesses, and I was trying to argue that very often. When we think about tech or when we think about innovation and tech, we're only looking at large markets and we're only looking at building big technologies for large markets. And I was arguing we can turn this around Um, and we can. It actually is also very interesting for those type of businesses that have a very small niche focus um, to still try to expand to China because you can differentiate much easier. Um, So we we should change that narrative upside down and not just look at the size of the market, not not just look at the huge technologies, but also try to, um, for very, very niche businesses, doing something very unique in a narrow market, Um, especially for those businesses, I was inviting them to come to China. So so that's what what he's referring to. And yes, I I would argue that that also applies to Africa. Um, um, It goes back to the point I made before. Um, It's not easy to penetrate Chinese market. So if you do it, you need to have something truly truly differentiating uh and and uh again that can be in technology can be in i p r can be in a very specific uh, narrowly defined market that no one's going after um uh, but if if you don't have those type of properties it's it's it will be impossible to penetrate uh, the Chinese market is difficult enough as it is
2: okay very uh, very straightforward answer thank you for that so I would like to maybe switch move toward one question that um, when it comes to, to China today the challenges that china is fa- are facing we, we did not address the elephant in the room and i'm very uh, the audience was also willing to focus more on the tech opportunities and we will not go political I promise you but do you think in the current crisis situation uh, what is going to be the impact? is it negative between China and Africa relationship and how could it could it be improved? Um, maybe, Dean, you could go ahead.
0: So you're referring to the uh, Guangzhou crisis?
2: Yeah, in a, in a wider way, yes. Uh, what I call the Guangzhou gate. Uh, I'm sure we've all seen videos of uh, Africans in, in the south of China, in the region of Guangzhou, uh, who have been poorly treated. And it has um, drawn many reactions on social media, including on, from politicians as well. So. And beyond even that, uh, we had one question in the, in the audience uh, pretty early in the, in the discussion saying that many countries now are looking to, to move away from too many dependencies in China, as we have seen during this crisis, because this crisis has also put in light that being too dependent on one supplier is not necessarily a good thing. So when it comes to China and Africa, do you think this crisis is leaving a damage relating to Guangzhou Gate, but looking further beyond that as well?
0: Yes. I think, um, I think, you know, for me as a black man living in Africa, uh, living in, in China, sorry, I, um, I have been very, very deeply actually uh, hurt by a lot of the uh, incidents that happened, uh, in the South of China. Um, so much that, you know, I had to take action in the sense that taking action actually meant really try to understand what really happened and not only just relying on social media comments or the news media outlet and reaching out to a lot of the African students and African uh, businessmen and businesswomen who live in Guangzhou to really talk to them and try to see what actually really happened on the ground and um, uh, so we created actually with several African people in living in China, living and working in China, we created several um, support groups which um, helped the African community in the south of China with financial aid because there are a lot of students in uh, in Guangzhou, for example, who needed some money because they couldn't get access to finance. Uh, we also helped them with simple psychological Help, which means you know, just talking to them and showing them that we're here for them, etc. Uh, but in a nutshell, I have uh, one observation that I've made is that um, most of the African people that I have spoken to in Guangzhou basically have not really suffered from any discrimination, and so I was I was quite that we saw on the media was about discrimination i have definitely seen all these posts in uh, mcdonalds saying that you know uh, no african people allowed in the mcdonalds and then ev- and then immediately having a mcdonalds post official press release uh, saying that this is definitely not mcdonalds uh, responsibility that they are now trying to put forward a lot of uh, education content to the um uh, Chinese employees across all McDonald's in the country. So in a sense, I think this is really, really um, asking us several questions or pushing us to ask several questions. The first one is, are we going to leave ignorance or let ignorance and uh, very poor behaviors um, really hinder the actual benefits of uh, those relationships that are being created between the African continent and the Chinese uh, country, I think there is a lot of you know. I work in a Chinese 130,000 people. I I work and live at the headquarters, and we are only two black people within 50,000 employees. And so I can see the reality on the ground when I meet, have lunch. Dinners with my Chinese colleagues, I do not have this kind of, um, you know, uh, behavior towards me because I'm a discriminatory kind of behavior. So, in a sense, I have to be able to look beyond what is being said in social media, etc. Because ignorance is everywhere, and if we let ignorance, you know, definitely there's going to be a lot of issues.
2: So just to leave the the mic to uh, look for your reaction on that question and the, this crisis is is it damaging the the opportunities that we have been discussing for one hour between China and Africa and if so how could how could it be improved?
1: Yeah. Okay. So a few things to say on that. Uh, of course, it's a bit difficult for me to assess uh, this specific issue that uh, that happened uh, between China and and let's say the the. Um, African community. I was not there. I've only read things in the news. So, um, and in the news, you can read many different perspectives. So it's, it's a bit difficult to really judge from my perspective. Um, of course, if there, I think it's clear that there was some type of discrimination going on, um, which in no, in no way, uh, uh, should be tolerated. Um, the the thing I, I can, um, say about it is myself. I have actually experienced also a little bit, um, some type of, Maybe very small scale discrimination, especially right after the the COVID-19 crisis in China was uh, normalized a little bit. So, for example, um, I had an issue where I needed to go to the police station to get a certain document and they didn't allow me in because I was a foreigner and I might have the virus. So these things happened to me. Uh, It's it's small scale. It's nothing compared to, to what happened over there, but it's at least... Um, an example of the fact that these things are happening now back to the question to what extent does this affect Africa-China relationships? Um, and to what extent does COVID-19 in general affect those type of relationships when it comes to innovation and technology? Clearly there is an effect. Uh, I mean by default any type of, of cro- cross-border business relies on human-to-human face-to-face interactions um, and trust. Both of them are uh, hindered right now um, through COVID-19 uh, but I think this is short-lived. Uh, uh, I think over the long term, um, there is no other way for China as a country to, move, to open up um, if they want to keep growing the economy uh, as fast as they need to to keep the population happy. Uh, sa- sa- similarly for Africa, I think Africa has so much to, to gain from China uh, when it comes to venture capital being invested, when it comes to uh, uh, penetrating one of the biggest Uh, internal markets in the world that shares many properties that the African market also has. Um, So I truly think this is short-lived and and the only thing everyone in this call can do or we all can do is just uh, keep working towards those types of collaborations um, uh, rather than dwelling on on what has happened. I think that doesn't help.
2: Great. So, on this positive note, I think we're going to wrap it up. I I just wanted to ask if you will keep uh, spending time and money in Africa, but it seems the answer is clear and yes, that you're going to keep doing that. If it is wrong, react now. But uh, I thank you very much, Luke and Dean, for sharing your experience and uh, your knowledge on this, uh, this topic, China and Africa, tech innovation opportunities between the two. Thanks a lot.
1: To hear the latest episodes, please subscribe to our channel. You can also visit africatechsummit.com. Keep up to date on the latest events, news and webinars.